Welcome to Reclaiming Leadership with the Good Business Witch. I'm your host, Megan Winkler, MBA and MA. There's lots of degrees in there. And I'm so thrilled you're here. Each week, we'll be discussing current events, challenges to women in leadership, and how we can shift away from burnout to create better lives for ourselves and those who come after us. Stick around. I think you're really going to love this show. Welcome back to Reclaiming Leadership with the Good Business Witch. I am your host, Megan Winkler, and this is episode number three. You can always order pizza. This is such a fun topic for me for a couple of reasons. The first is that it's a value of empowered leadership, my brand of leadership that combines the masculine and the feminine energies together with a focus on creating sustainable business environments without burnout. The second reason it's fun for me is that this value came from my personal life, which we'll get into in just a minute. Before we dive in, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. So first, I have a correction from last episode. The study I cited in episode two was actually from leanin.org, not leanin.com. I misspoke there. Um, Let's see. And another quick update. Breaking Up with Burnout starts October 10th. Uh, the first call is October 10, 11, 12th, Wednesday the 12th. So um, if you are celebrating holidays uh, during that week, we will not be meeting or doing anything until the 12th. So um, I know that that might be important to you. If you are so over being burned out, stressed out, then this program, it's for you. It's a seven-month group coaching program. There's short sessions each week. We'll have a planned subject for each call. Um, And and anything else that you bring to the call is welcome there. Anything else you bring to the room is welcome. So you'll be able to kind of hop up in the hot seat, so to speak, with questions, concerns, um, get coaching kind of on the fly. What I love about this is this is a group environment. So being in community is one of the many ways that we can beat burnout and reduce our stress. Another way to do it is that when you witness somebody else being coached, you really have a wonderful experience and you can learn from that yourself, which is so freaking cool. Another benefit of breakup with burnout is that you will have Voxer access to me Monday through Friday within business hours. So if you have like a burnout emergency, you can reach me that way. There's also going to be a community on Facebook. So lots and lots of support. I will be active in that community as well. Um, And there might be some things like if you send me a Voxer and it's really more something that I know um, everyone will benefit from, like it's a kind of a general topic, then I'll ask you if it's cool if I just post about it in there. Uh, So if you're interested in that, head over to goodbusinesswitch.com and click on break up with burnout in the top right corner. And I think that is it. So back to this week's topic. Let me hydrate. Mm. One minute. Thank you. You can always order pizza. So the way this came about is I love to experiment in the kitchen. And on some occasions, I'll try something new and I'm really unsure about it. Um, One of my gifts is I'm a bit of a kitchen witch and I really can imagine what flavors are going to be good together. So I can put a bunch of stuff like together 
just kind of throw it in and it works. Sometimes I'm like, well, this might be a little much for my family. So the joke for over a decade now has been, well, we can always order pizza, <laughs> meaning that if the recipe totally flops, we can just trash it, scrape it off into the trash can, order pizza instead. There are a lot of business ideas that are tried and true. And there are a lot of things that we just don't know. There's a lot of things we can rely on, a lot of things we can't. I mean, before 2020, there was really no real way to know how businesses would survive a modern pandemic. Hell, even the Instagram algorithm continually keeps us on our toes, right? In this modern era, how on earth are we supposed to perfectly execute a work project every time? I mean, we're not. Yet our perfectionism tells us that we've got to do it right the first time and every time. Perfectionism is very much a buzzword these days. Um, I have a lot of colleagues and friends who describe themselves as a recovering perfectionist. I have said that myself before, and I truly believe it. But what does it actually mean? Or maybe we just look at like what it looks like. So it's important to note that perfectionists and high achievers, they actually look a lot like each other. But there are some key differences. So as I'm kind of going through these 10 characteristics of perfectionists, I want you to kind of have in the back of your mind that high achievers and perfectionists are different. And I think that's a big issue in our society is that we tend to conflate the two. We put them together, uh, confuse them, mix them up into this weird mixing bowl of uh, confusion, right? And we think that high achievers are people who did it perfectly. And it's not true. So the following information comes from Dr. Elizabeth Scott, who is a PhD, and it was published on verywellmind.com. So if you want to look that up yourself, you totally can. Let's just dive in here. So number one, some of these may feel familiar to you, and it's okay if they do. Just give yourself a little hug. Keep breathing with me. This is a no judgment zone. All or nothing thinking. Perfectionists set really high goals for themselves. And when they don't make them, they beat themselves up for it. So in contrast, high achievers are satisfied with their accomplishments. They see, you know, where they had their wins, even if they don't meet their goals. Perfectionists just can't seem to accept anything less than perfect. And they just can't they can't move past that. Number two, perfectionists are highly critical. Now, I will be the first to tell you that we are our own worst critic, and we really are. And perfectionists take that several steps further. If you're a perfectionist, you are going to spot mistakes and the not quite right characteristics in yourself, in other people, in situations, in projects, um, in sales numbers, like whatever. You have trouble seeing anything but the shortcomings, where you could do better, that sort of thing. And sometimes we see perfectionism manifest in that, oh, you know, I could do better kind of thing. And it's like, well, but did you do really well? Are you just kind of nitpicking yourself? That's something to think about. Now, the next one feels really personal. <laughs> These days, I'm all about team imperfect, but that wasn't always the case. Perfectionists are often pushed 
by fear rather than being pulled to their goals. So people that are high achievers who are like really purpose-driven are really passionate about what they're doing, they have a deep desire to go after their goal. If you've got a, a salesperson who is like really motivated to get out there and do the thing and go, 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 um, and they're a high achiever, they're going to be pulled towards that goal. Like it's going to feel like a magnetic, wonderful thing. On the flip side, perfectionists feel pushed toward their goals. I know this all too well. And quite honestly, I built my business, my first business, through that fear-based push. So I know what this feels like. And for me, I was worried that if I didn't do everything exactly right, I was going to end up out on the street, which is just that kind of extreme thinking. That's that all or nothing thinking, right? Number four is having unrealistic standards. Perfectionists do not set reasonable goals. And it feels that like if their goals are not met, something will, bad will happen. So we have unrealistic goals. And if we don't make them, like something horrible is going to happen, right? Interesting little tidbit is women are typically more successful in their first year of business than men. I think the number is like, Female entrepreneurs make their numbers in the first year, their goal numbers, number goals <laughs> in the first year, like 93% of the time, like vastly more than men do because we tend to, to set more realistic goals than men. So even if you're a perfectionist, you could be setting more realistic goals than men just kind of in the grand scheme of things. Thought I would just throw that out there. I found that super fascinating. Uh, I don't have a source on that because I just saw it on um, one of my news sources. So I saw it on a reliable source, but I can't remember what it is right now. The fifth characteristic is focusing only on results. So this is not one of those things like a very Zen-like attitude of there's always something to learn from this situation, or there's always something to gain from this experience. I love that attitude. I truly believe that results come in all forms. And there are actually lessons to learn from everything, and that can be a result. But perfectionists have such a fear of failure that without the like hard and fast results, they feel like they have completely failed. It can be really devastating. Okay, so that's five, five of the 10. So we're halfway through this list, and I just want to take a moment and give you a chance to breathe. If these sound familiar, this is your invitation to come over to Tune Perfect. It's much cooler over here. Uh, and I'll tell you how to get there before we end this episode. So hang in here. Number six, perfectionists tend to experience depression when their goals are unmet. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about clinical depression, but just like the experience and the emotion of depression. There's a tendency for perfectionists to kind of stay in that wounded, sad place and um, I don't ever want to call it like negative emotions because I don't believe that emotions are negative, but they're perceived kind of by the outside world and we're told that they're negative. So sad, angry, frustrated, that sort of thing um, when they don't meet their goals. If it's not obvious already, a fear of failure is another characteristic of perfectionists. Perfectionists are way more likely to fear failure than non-perfectionists and high achievers are. This is 
So much so that perfectionists will stall and procrastinate rather than starting their goals, which leads to the next characteristic. Characteristic number eight is procrastination. It seems like perfectionists wouldn't procrastinate, but if you think about it, it's a lot safer for someone who, if they're feeling like they can't do something 100%, it's a lot more comfortable just not to start it at all than to try and fail. A lot of times we learn these lessons in our youth that we can either try something and succeed or fail, or like if we just don't try, like, yeah, we may not succeed, but we're certainly not going to fail if we're just not doing it, <laughs> right? So um, a lot of times perfectionists will procrastinate and just won't start things or will drag their feet. <coughs> Excuse me. Number nine is defensiveness. So perfectionists will tend to be uh, very highly critical and then they will get very defensive about any sort of criticism or advice, even if it's very gentle, valuable, kind. Um, a lot of times we get frustrated with or angry about the qualities we know we have and we see it in people around us. So another thing that could kind of fall into this defensiveness pattern is um, kind of lashing out at people who are being a perfectionist or people who are procrastinating, you know, are exhibiting these same emotions and these same experiences because it feels like an attack on you if you're raw in that place, right? If, if it feels like a nerve is exposed in that place. And finally, the 10th characteristic is low self-esteem. So with all of these things, the defensiveness, the um, self-criticism, all that, it, it just makes complete sense, right? Uh, sometimes perfectionists are also isolated because they push others away kind of with their criticism and defensiveness and all that. So that is a long list. <laughs> but now, Let's talk about an antidote to perfectionism. Now, this is not the solution. It's not the way. I follow the bird's papaya on Instagram and she's lovely. And she was talking about making a right decision versus the right decision. And I just want to say that this is an antidote, not the antidote to perfectionism. Your results may vary. It's compassion. I sat in on a conversation this summer with a couple of colleagues of mine. One's a writing coach and publisher who specializes in compassionate writing and a compassionate approach. And the other one is an executive leadership coach who is a ball of fire. She's just amazing. And we were talking about compassion and how compassion includes ourselves and other people. And it was really interesting. It came out in conversation that, you know, in the West, we've had to define it as self-compassion. But where it comes from, from the East, where there's a lot of beautiful, compassionate teachings, the idea of compassion includes the self as well. So it's like compassion for self and circumstances and people. If you experience, excuse me, if you experience perfectionism, there are a couple things I want you to know. Number one, first and foremost, you are not alone. There are plenty of perfectionists out there. It's a process. You're not just going to wake up tomorrow and say, oh, I'm not going to be a perfectionist anymore. I'm done with that bullshit. No, that is not how it works. 
And sometimes it helps us to remember that we're not the only person going through something, right? Number two, I would like for you to experiment with something. Experiment with the idea that you are not a perfectionist, but there is a part of you that's a perfectionist. In internal family systems or IFS, which I've been studying for about a year now, uh, about to go into um, an IFS circle training uh, for, I guess it's three or four months. That starts in October for me. Um, we talk about little exiled parts of us. These are parts that are like remnants of our childhood. They're injured or traumatized little pieces of our personality that we carry with ourselves. And when you find yourself in perfectionist mode, I really want to encourage you to change how you speak to yourself. So for instance, instead of saying something like, I can't do this, try, there's a part of me that says I can't do this or thinks I can't do this. A part of me is worried I can't do this. It's the same philosophy that I've heard mindset coaches use and psychologists use and all that. Switching the language from I'm angry to I'm feeling angry except this is acknowledging a little part of yourself. And then just to give this part some space and a kind ear, um, in this way, we can kind of meet this perfectionism part. IFS is a therapy and coaching approach based on family systems therapy or family systems theory. And um, in that, like, there's all these different relationships around us, right? In our family, we have our mother, our father, our siblings, you know, cousins, our grandparents, all these different people. IFS says that there are also these parts of self that look a lot like that, kind of our internal family, right? So we've got the exiles, the little wounded children parts of us, and then we have protectors who are there to do just that. They're there to protect the exiles within us. And it breaks down beyond that, but that's not why we're here today. So all of these parts make up our personality and there's also self energy. This is our true divine nature. Some coaches call it your true self, your divine self. Um, and when we're self led rather than parts led. So leading from our divine self versus the part of me that feels that she needs to be perfect we can take a step back from things like perfectionism and live with more compassion, more compassion for ourselves. The first step in developing this relationship with these parts is to notice when they pop up and then ask them what they want you to know. That's literally it. So if you want to learn more about IFS, head over to ifs-institute.com. They've got a ton of resources for you. No, this is not a sponsored post or sponsored episode. I also recommend the book No Bad Parts by Dr. Dr. Richard Schwartz. Um, he's the pioneering doctor behind IFS. I really recommend it on Audible because there are sample sessions in there um, where he's actually walking people through it so you can kind of witness what IFS is all about. And you can start developing you know, relationships with these little parts of you, these little parts that are worried that if you're not perfect, you're going to be unloved. You're going to be alone. And of course, next time you try something new in your business, in your life, whatever, remember the phrase, you can always order pizza because just about everything can be fixed. And sometimes it's just as simple as picking up the phone and ordering pizza. These days, you don't even have to talk to anybody. 
I remember when we had to pull the phone off the wall and call Domino's for the pizza. You don't even have to do that anymore. <laughs> I love you. I hope this helps you. And I cannot wait to see you online. If you have any suggestions for the show, head over to Reclaiming Leadership Pod, that's P-O-D dot com, and use the contact form to get in touch with me directly. We are not currently taking any guests, so let's hold off on those inquiries for now. Thank you so much for your interest. I'm also on Instagram all the time <laughs> at the Megan Winkler. And of course, all the places this show streams live, I hang out in. And I would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a beautiful rest of your day. Before I sign off, I want to share a channeled message with you. So sometimes during my writing practice, I will get a message that comes through and there's something that just kind of flows through me. So I pulled some cards and I really just closed my eyes and tuned in to the words that were coming to me. So I hope this is a gorgeous reminder for you. What is asleep in your body? What have you ignored for too long? In this thinking world, this world where we're constantly barraged with information and lay in bed scrolling through our phones first thing in the morning, I'm guilty of it too. It's so easy to disconnect from your heart and your body. To be led by your mind is something the ancients and the actual Renaissance men prided. Did you know that's why the statue of David by Michelangelo has a small penis? It's because physical virility was not a prized characteristic. The mind was what was wanted, and I think in those days that's exactly what was needed, a pursuit of the mind and the creativity that resides there. The conversation, creation, and development of ideas. Today, there's so much thinking and overthinking. We've lost control of the balance we need. We've lost connection with our bodies. There's a great deep wisdom in our bodies, listening to what they crave, to what feels good just for the sake of feeling good. This is your call to awaken to the sensations of the body, to ask yourself not what you think, but what you feel, to lay a hand on your belly and feel the breath that moves in and out, to go with your gut, to root down into your base chakra and connect with the earth, to go on walks without any electronic device in your hand and no headphones in your ears, to touch the ground with loving caresses and reconnect with the soul of this world. It is time to come alive and reconnect with the essence of you. Until next time. <laughs>